1: With Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. They're
2: back. Lawmakers return from congressional recess, and we've got the latest on their to do list. They've got a lot to do. USMCA, gun control, will they, won't they do anything on gun control and pass? Oh, yeah, some spending bills to keep the government open. Two political insiders to get us through their to-do list, plus what else what else do they have their eye on in terms of Congress with lawmakers back from recess, Louis Miranda, former DNC communications director, is back Brian Darlings here, former senior comms director to senator Ram Paul. he's the founder of Liberty Government Affairs. Meanwhile, the President did you see this over the weekend tweeting tweeting about the Taliban meeting that he called off. We'll break down the latest on that and recession already gripping parts of the country. What does it mean for the 2020 election happening, kicking into full gear? Democrats descending upon New Hampshire over the weekend. And I'm going to check in with David Fetter. He's the co-author of a new book out with Justice Neil Gorsuch. How's Gorsuch fitting in on the bench? We'll get the inside scoop from SCOTUS. Jam-packed show. Happy Monday. We're back at it. Lawmakers returned from congressional recess today, and they've got a busy, busy to-do list to get done in just the sprint between now and the end of the autumn session. Here with me to walk through all of this, Louis Miranda, former DNC communications director, and Brian Darlings, former senior comms director to Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. He's also the founder of Liberty Government Affairs. Thank you, gentlemen, both for being here. Hey, Thank you. Cool. All right. So I want to start with uh, the three big things on my, on my radar for the congressional to-do list are USMCA, gun control, and the spending bills. So let's start with USMCA. I was speaking with some senior staffers to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and, and they're all saying, and, and Leader Pelosi has said this, Speaker Pelosi has said this as well, they want to get to a yes on USMCA, but right now it hasn't been given any floor time, so it's still unknown. Luis Miranda, predict here on Bloomberg Sound On, will USMCA be ratified?
3: I think so, but not until uh, next year. Um, Not I think ne- that next year. Next year. I think that the calendar right now is way too tight. Uh, you have basically four months until 2020. Uh, so many things left to either do or avoid, um, depending on which chamber of the House you're in, uh, of Congress. And uh, it's, it's just unlikely that as, as things heat up with the presidential primary at the beginning of 2020, that they'll be able to do this uh, in the fall. Uh, and, and we'll probably wait until things are a little bit clearer and sorted out in the primary. But
2: see, tick-tock, tick-tock, Brian Darling— the, the, the closer we get into next year, I mean, like, the calendar evaporates, right, during, oh, yeah, it, during an election year.
4: There'll be less likelihood it passes next year, I think. I think the problem is, is that Nancy Pelosi knows that if this is rolled out in the House floor, it will pass. So she will not schedule floor time.
2: But she wants to get it done. I mean, there's well, a, there's a lot of suburban like Democrats who would like to see— this ratified. I mean I was even talking to to a progressive democrat, uh, Jimmy Gomez. He's Congressman Jimmy Gomez, a democrat from from LA. He wants to see this this get done. Right. And so but the problem is, right, is that
4: the members want to get it done. But they know, I think the leadership understands that the last thing they want to do is give President Trump something he can spike the football with and say he accomplished. This is all about politics. They won't allow it to get a vote. I
2: hear you. I hear you on that. But Lewis, I mean, there must be some type of also some general thinking that says, hey, wait a minute. I mean, President Trump's going to spike the football on NAFTA, whether or not USMCA is ratified. He's going to say, I try to get a better deal. Democrats, stalled and, and didn't want to do it. And if they do do it, it's a bipartisan victory. I see that thinking. But for Democrats, I mean, they're going to, the progressive Democrats are going to say that USMCA doesn't go far enough. And Elizabeth Warren and Bernie That's Sanders right. are going to be saying that no matter what. So why not just get this deal done?
3: Uh, I think it's it's more a negotiating chip um, than not wanting to get it done. I think it'll just be timing it so that you can hopefully also get some progress on other things, where the, whether it's universal background checks or... Um, or some of the other things that that the House wants to do. But uh, I do think that she wants to get it done, and I think she will get it done. If there's someone who is able to move uh, legislative uh, pieces forward in in a way like no one else, it's Nancy Pelosi. It's just a, a matter of the timing being right from her perspective.
2: So all right, you, mentioned, you mentioned background, checks. So I want to play for you a little bit of what Speaker Nancy Pelosi said today earlier on Capitol Hill. They had a, a massive press conference on the Hill today. A Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, the Democrat from New York, was also there. Take a listen to item number two on my watch list for, from now that they're back on gun control. Here's Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Take a listen to what she said.
0: If this bill is not passed... Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate and the President will have hell to pay.
2: Hell to pay. Hell to pay. Brian no. Darling, if there's not if there's not bipartisan bipartisan reforms that are addressed, do you think Leader McConnell has has an appetite to to get something through? Well, he's
4: already saying he's going to spend the next month just doing appropriations. So I don't think without the President saying I am for X, Y, and Z, if the President does not say exactly what he's for and stand behind it. Why would he waste floor time on the issue? Now the House has passed two gun control bills. The Senate is unlikely to take them up. But the one curveball that comes up in this is the fact that you have all these different senators running for president. They're going to want to vote. They're going to want votes on their own ideas. And so you couldn't even roll this bill out in the Senate floor. Let Although me push.
2: Think- but wait, but sorry. But let me push on on you just a little bit, Brian, because you mentioned about the politics regarding USMCA. You go into the suburbs. I mean, this is a losing issue for Republicans, is it not?
4: W- with guns? Yes. I don't think so. It depends on what state it is. In the suburbs, yeah, maybe a little bit. But. Think about the rural states. There are a lot of rural states that uh, will not want to see a lot of what the Democrats are pushing. And you hear a lot of talk about assault weapon bans and, and limits on magazine sizes. Yet the House has not passed a bill that touches on those issues.
3: Brian, I'm going to take a little bit of what you said earlier, which is that you know McConnell would, uh, doesn't put this on the floor because he knows it would pass. And, and I think you're you're right, Kevin, that there is enough support out there. And the suburbs are what matters in a presidential election. And in a lot of these races that are going to matter uh, to maintain control of the Senate uh, for Republicans. Uh, and so, you know, if you focus just on, on the rural states, if you focus just on the uh, strongest Republican supporters, that's not going to keep you in control. So I think that's, that's definitely an issue.
4: Yeah, but one of the problems is that the Democrats, if you were to roll out, just universal background checks. The Democrats would say that's not enough. You need to do much more. You know, red flag laws and and assault weapons bans and many of the gun guy buyback programs. Those are all issues that Democrats are going to say, no matter what passes, we need more. You didn't do enough.
2: Well, there's some. I mean, I think they're just when I talk to Republicans and Democrats after this summer, there is an appetite for. Some, I mean, red flag laws. President Trump has said consistently is something that he would maybe. Be willing to consider i mean it, it would appear that that there is there is some consensus we've talked on this program about information sharing with big tech companies working with the feds working with local law enforcement enforcement officials to apply the same type of strategies that are applied for overseas terrorists with domestic terrorists here in the united states and the public private sector partnerships all right that's number two gun control and like, they they got to keep the government open. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't forget about keeping the government open. The House has already passed, I believe it's 12 spending bills. They've got them through. The Senate now has to do that. McConnell, Leader McConnell, Bry has told us he's committed to, to doing that. Are we going to have another government shutdown, Bry?
4: Well, if we were, it won't happen in at the end of this month. They're going to do a continuing resolution that kicks it to before Thanksgiving or maybe after Thanksgiving. But the one thing that there is bipartisanship on is spending money. And so I think they will come to a deal at some point. <laughs> they always point. find a way to spend
2: yeah. money in Washington. Look,
3: this is an important one because a few weeks ago there was the uh, agreement on the sequestration and a lot of people thought that this was something that was now punted entirely up until after the presidential election. And it wasn't. Uh, it's a not, number yeah, of what happened? There's a number of important agencies that simply were not funded, the State Department, uh, Department of Defense. Um, there's a lot there that is still up for debate. Uh, and that's going to be contentious. The Defense uh, Authorization Act, for example, is one that is very difficult right now because Trump has drained 3.6 billion dollars away from military projects to fund the border wall that Mexico supposedly was going to pay for. So that's just one example so of, of one that, that could get this. much more contentious, and that may not be just a continuing resolution until I think in 21 days we uh, it may come to the to the last second before they extend it to. To Thanksgiving so
2: you, you're not con- just till Thanksgiving uh,
3: if, if, if that oh, I mean we'll, see, we'll <laughs> see what happens I think so we're, so gonna, we're gonna,
2: gonna be here for Turkey day about I can just <laughs> see it now the TikTok clock and whether or not and uh, you know what hey we're grateful that we have stuff to talk about and that we can do this but you know keep the government open and as long as there's funding
3: for the turkey pardon. Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah we'll have sound on catering uh, anything else on your radar for the uh, for now that lawmakers are back that you think they'll try to jam through?
4: I mean, there are so many issues they need to deal with, but no. I think it is all about funding the government. I think Republicans will avoid a big debate in guns. I think Democrats will avoid the debate in the trade agreement because – they're ju- they just don't want to have it out there. Right. They don't want to be debating these issues.
3: Impeachment is definitely oh, going to be another right. issue that's going to come up. I think uh, the judiciary in the House is uh, ready to move forward, uh, and especially on investigations that look at not just the Russia probe but several other ways that Donald Trump is enriching himself in office and how that could potentially be Uh, a violation of the Emoluments Clause. So I think that you're going to see a much more serious effort at impeachment because uh, a lot of Democrats in the House don't just feel that, it, it almost doesn't matter whether it's good or bad politically. It's terrible that they're not Doing what they need to do as as uh, their constitutional duty.
2: Lots to talk about. Panel stays. Louis Miranda and Brian Darling. Just as a disclaimer, Michael Bloomberg, owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News, founded and helps fund Every Town for Gun Safety, a nonprofit that advocates for universal background checks and other gun provi- uh, gun. Violence prevention measures. I'm Kevin Cerilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. Coming up, we're going to talk about Supreme Court as well as the recession fears that are already gripping parts of the country. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. We're doing very well against
2: China, and we could very well have a new high in our stock market. We have gained trillions of dollars of worth, and China has lost many, many trillions of dollars, including three million jobs, including companies that are leaving China. Yes, they want to negotiate very badly. That was President Trump speaking earlier about the U.S.-China trade policies. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're here with two political all-stars, Louis Miranda, former DNC Communications Director, and Brian Darling, former Senior Communications Director to Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. He's the founder of Liberty Government Affairs. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. There were some China economic numbers that were released over the weekend that suggested that well not, they're not as things aren't as bad but there's a decline in the imports coming into the United States from China as a result of these tariffs potentially these numbers weren't as bad as they could have been but they were still somewhat showing a decline then I'm reading this story on on Bloomberg Business Week a great story you have to read it by Sean Donnan And the headline reads, Recession Already Grips Corners of the United States, Menacing Trump's 2020 Bid. The president's trade wars are creating a scenario similar to 2016. You look at manufacturing numbers, manufacturing uh, activity seasonally adjusted has been in decline the second quarter of 2019. Then I take a look at, at at the map. If you look at Pennsylvania, a state that President Trump carried in the 2016 election, the first time a Republican did so since 1988, Pennsylvania has led in losses. It's down 8,300 jobs uh, with regards to this. And Wisconsin, another state that President Trump won, has lost more than 4,000 jobs. These are manufacturing jobs. But in the manufacturing sector alone, that traditionally some swing voters you know i mean it's it's brian darling as a republican uh what does this mean for president trump's re-election
4: well i mean these are tough numbers but they are balanced out by the meta numbers when you look at the economy at at large when you look at the numbers uh, over a million jobs created this year over four million jobs created since he was sworn in very low unemployment numbers historically low And historically low for African-Americans, Asian-Americans, women. I mean, the numbers, the big numbers on the economy are good. And although there has been a lot of volatility in the stock market, stock market's still doing pretty well. So, you know, obviously the economy is going to be very important if sectors of the economy, including farmers, are hurt by these tariffs then that's going to be a problem. But I guess the big long-term goal is the hope that we win the trade war and these tariffs go away.
3: I think the problem is that you do have farmers that are quite hurt by this uh, and that you have uh, consumers that are going to be hurt by the tariffs and the prices that they're paying more on any number of goods. Uh, And then on top of that, Uh, when you consider that the indicators on uh, factory jobs and and states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin are going to be asking, are we better off than we were four years ago? It does spell trouble for the president, and it does signify uh, a problem going forward. Even if the economy is still on on some kind of uh, solid footing, uh, the signs of recession are there, and and that's troubling for the people in the states that are critical for him to get reelected.
2: So uh, just to, I think the point that I'm hearing from both of you is that The issue of the economy right now and whether or not there's going to be a slowdown or or a recession has largely been politicized. And so the more the Democrats can politicize it and and the more that Republicans can politicize it, it doesn't really matter if you're one of those 8,300 folks in manufacturing who lost a job in Pennsylvania. It matters if that one of those 8,300 people are a Democrat or a Republican, because if the Democrats (laughs) are blaming Trump and the Republicans are blaming uh, Pelosi... You know, there is there, an
3: interesting partisan dynamic to this, which is that right after the election in uh, 2016, the uh, percentages of people who saw the economy on a positive track and those who saw it on a negative flipped based on who you supported and how you saw the results of the election, even though the economy itself was moving exactly in the same direction. And that's,
2: that's truthfully what I find so fascinating is because I do think that there was a, a voter. I mean, I was on the campaign trail more times than I was not last cycle. And... You know, in talking to voters, there were many voters, Brian, and you know this, uh, who, who said they wanted to take a risk. They wanted to take a chance and they wanted a political outsider. And so will that voter who got a red Make America Great Again hat, will that voter put back on that hat? and show up at the polls come 2020. That's going to decide this election. Coming up, we switch gears and we talk Supreme Court. Judge Neil Gorsuch is out with a book. His co-author, David Fetter, phones in. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch is out with a new book. He's asserted himself as a conservative force for Republicans, the first Supreme Court justice to be nominated to the Supreme Court in President Trump's administration. He's out with a new book. It's called A Republic if you can keep it, quoting—it's a quote, of course, by Benjamin Franklin, Philly guy, Benjamin Franklin, uh, about whether or not Americans can hold on to their republic. David Fetter is on the phone line. He is a co-author and, and helps uh, edit this book as well, and it's a collection of essays and, and rulings. Uh, David Fetter joins us via telephone. Uh, he is— currently uh, an attorney at jones day he's an associate at jones day and we're thrilled to have him on the program i was skimming the book this weekend and i gotta say it's it's an interesting read whether you agree with gorsuch or not it is a fascinating take on the supreme court and and in reading the coverage of it as well in the washington post he did an interview with the post and with shannon bream over at fox uh he's really saying you know what the supreme court is its own political institution it has it he's going to keep out of all of the political of the political arena is he not david
5: yeah i think that's exactly right i think one of the main points of the book is judges are not politicians and they shouldn't be politicians you know during justice gorsuch's confirmation some people seem to think that judges should act like junior varsity uh, politicians and decide cases based on whether they like X party or whether they decide Y party. And that's not how the Constitution presupposes that our judges are uh, to act. And that's not how our judges act. They're supposed to dev- decide cases impartially and fairly. And I think Justice Gorsuch makes that point in the book.
2: And I think it's interesting. I mean, there is a, uh, there's a great story on Bloomberg Law We got an excerpt of the book and it was posted last week that says we will all be forgotten soon enough. And that's exactly as it should be. That's what Neil Gorsuch writes in the new book of Republic, if you can keep it. And then when you look at the interview that he gave to the Washington Post the other day, or I'm sorry, the, this was to the Associated Press the other day, uh, he said, if you're asking me about politics, I'm not going to touch it. But he also went on to say that Americans should remember that political opponents, quote, love this country as much as we do. I, I don't know. I mean, I hear that at face value. And then, I, I you know, I, I mean, just as a reporter living in these times, <laughs> Can the Supreme Court be boring again, given what we've been through in the past two years?
5: Look, I think the justice is absolutely right. You know, left, right, center, whatever, everyone in America loves America. Now, they might have a little bit different view on where we should go or how we should get there. But I, I think the Justice's point is we shouldn't demonize people we disagree with. Part of having a republic is having civil disagreement with one another. As the Justice likes to say, it's one of his fair quotes, you know, you got to learn to disagree uh, without being disagreeable. And that's something he really embodies. You know, he has great relationships with every Justice on the court. Uh, you know, he's been doing a lot of actually joint civics and civility appearances with Justice Sotomayor and uh, they, they too have formed quite a bond. You know, one of the funnest moments of this past term in the Supreme Court was Justice Sotomayor was giving a hypothetical about a case during oral argument about how much force was needed uh, to trigger a statute. And she reached over and pinched Justice Gorsuch playfully, and the justice responded playfully and, and sort of made a face, and the courtroom laughed. You know, and it's little moments like that that just the justice embodies. Uh, he treats everyone with respect, and he's extremely civil to everyone, whether or not, you know, you like him or not.
2: David Fetter's on the line. He's an associate at Jones Day. He's also a contributor to Justice Neil Gorsuch's new book, A Republic, If You Can Keep It. What is What is... How has Gorsuch made an impact on the Supreme Court so far? What what has he been doing? I mean, so much attention recently has been on Kavanaugh, but, but how has Gorsuch impacted the Supreme Court lately?
5: Yeah, I think the Justice has written some very strong originalist opinions which prove that originalism is not a philosophy that's conservative or liberal or has any particular valence. It's a philosophy which enforces the Constitution. Um, And I think he's really done a great job of being independent, deciding every case uh, according to where the law and facts lead him. Um, He's decided some very important cases, in particular with respect to the Void Verbatinist doctrine which is a doctrine that means the law is so vague that a judge has to sort of make it up. Uh, It's too vague for judges to enforce because it would violate the separation of powers. Judges aren't to make up what the law is. They're only to interpret it fairly and apply it to the parties before them impartially. So one of his biggest rulings, for example – Uh, He was the fifth vote in a case called Sessions v. DeMaya, which involved whether an immigration statute was too unconstitutional to be applied to an immigrant. And he said, yes, this statute leaves it all uh, in the judge's head to sort of make it up, and and that's not appropriate. And, you know, that wasn't a normal... 5-4, 5-4, but I think that just goes to show that originalism is really—there's no political valence to philosophy, and I think the justices' opinions have demonstrated that.
2: David Fetter is on the line. He uh, went to Harvard Law. He's an associate at Jones Day, a contributor to Justice Gorsuch's new book, A Republic, if you can keep it, Originalist. If you're getting in your car and you're way home from work and you don't know what original—or you forget, dust off the Harvard Law book for me. What does Originalist mean?
5: Huh. <laughs> Original is really just a fancy label for, you know, judges shouldn't make it up. Judges should apply the words on the paper as originally understood. So the judges can't update the meaning because they would prefer a different meaning. They can't give away your rights uh, when it's in the Constitution. They simply read the words on that paper, determine what it means, and apply it fairly. Um, there's been some periods in this country where judges have strayed from the words of the Constitution, and it's led to some pretty disastrous results. And I'll give you a couple examples. You know, perhaps the darkest hour in the Supreme Court's history was the awful Dred Scott decision, where the Supreme Court said there was a right to hold slaves in the territory. Completely wrong decision, completely disregarded what the Constitution said. It gave Congress the power to regulate slavery in the territories. But the judges thought, uh, the justices thought that they would be solving a, pressing crisis, you know, preventing the civil war. And as we all know, that wasn't the case at all. It actually precipitated a civil war. Um, and I think, you know, when you leave the, the words on the paper, sometimes you invite the constitutional karma. I'll give you another example. You know, the atrocious Korematsu decision, where the Supreme Court upheld the internment of Americans of Japanese descent, uh, even though there's a, the equal protection clause, which says you must give equal treatment of the laws to everyone, regardless of the race, and even though we have a Fourth Amendment, which says no unreasonable searches and seizures, that is a decision which can't be justified on originalist grounds. It can only be justified to the extent it can be, which it can't, uh, by methods of interpretation which stray from the words on the paper. You know, originalism is really just about being modest, yeah. realizing that judges can't solve every problem in society. And things are better when they uh, apply the law fairly and right. don't try and wear capes.
2: David Federer, we got less than 60 seconds left, but I want to get your take because one of the things I was struck by, Gorsuch has been a swing vote uh, and it's caught people off guard. I mean, it's made a surprise. It should be no surprise if you study his record. On Native American issues, He's he's been with uh, the more, I guess you would say, liberal liberal judges. Tell us quickly about that.
5: Well, there's some cases which involved interpretation of Native American treaties, and, you know, the justice is just trying to do his level best, uh, as every justice on the court is. And, you know, sometimes you'll reach so-called liberal results when you're applying the law as you, as you see it, uh, neutrally and fairly, and, and sometimes you'll reach so-called conservative results. Um, that doesn't mean that he likes X party better than Y party. It just means that's where the law and facts lead in that particular case. And I think that's one of the best things about the justice is he's extremely independent and he'll follow the law and facts wherever they lead, you know, without fear or favoring yeah. anyone.
2: I like it. I think it's a great book. I think it's interesting to see every time a, a, a Supreme Court justice comes, a justice comes out with a book, whether it's uh, Sonia Sotomayor or... Or uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch. I mean, you gotta read it. It's a fascinating window into these individuals' lives, and they're everything. I mean, they're they're critiquing and judging every which way, and they've got their staves and everything. Uh, but. It's, it's interesting when they reflect on it in real time, so to speak. David Feder, great interview. Thanks for coming on. Co-author of A Republic, if you can keep it, with Justice Neil Gorsuch. Uh, he's at Jones Day, an associate at Jones Day. Coming up, what's on the panel's radar? I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg
1: 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Monday in Washington, D.C. Hey, weather not that nice, but my Philadelphia Eagles just crushed it. Crushed it. Deshaun Jackson just connecting with Carson Wentz. It was a beautiful game. Rough first quarter, Washington, for me. But, hey, we pulled it out in the end. I'm thrilled. Sorry for the loss, but I'm not really. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio, a Philly fan till I die. And I got to gloat. I just, I got to gloat. Brian Darling's here, former Senior Communications Director for Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, founder of Liberty Government Affairs. Louis Miranda, former DNC Communications Director. Brian, who did you, how'd you do yesterday? Patriots did great. God almighty. I, <laughs> I like knew
1: you were a Patriots They did a good fan, Saturday, I... too,
2: oh, with Antonio Brown. Oh, yeah, classy. Classy operation, Bill Belichick's <laughs> running up there. Um, all right, this is time. Switching gears, we're not a sports show, Kevin. Stay focused. Uh, <laughs> we're not an Eagles show, actually. Um uh, what's on your radar? So this is the, the time in the show where we, where we go through what, are, what is on everybody's radar. Brian Darling, what's on your radar?
4: Well One of the things that's on my ri- radar is earlier this year, um, the House passed a measure that restricts a Justice Department from prosecuting states that allow adult use of medical marijuana. Now, the big question is, will Congress do anything more? Will they pass a SAFE Act, which allows safe banking uh, in states? It allows banking in states that have allowed and, and made it okay to grow and sell cannabis. And that's something that I'm looking at to see if Congress is going to take any action in that space. So it
2: pass the House?
4: Safe banking hasn't passed the House yet. It's It was supposed to come up before the recess, but I think most expect it to come up sometime it's this
2: pretty fall. pretty bipartisan issue now. Very. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, they should tack that on to one of them. I mean, they, who knows what they're going to do. That's a good one. We're watching that, um, yeah. and, and we know that there is bipartisan support. We've talked about it on this show multiple times. Lewis, what is on your radar? Well, I'll tell you
3: what's on my weather radar, which is that Commerce Secretary Wilbur ross apparently uh, threatened to fire people in the Birmingham office of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. The weather agency. They stood, up, they stood up to Donald Trump. To say, no, 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 wait a second, there's no threat to Alabama. And it looks like in this administration now, we can't even trust the weather without some sort of polarization. Wait, wait, wait. That's, that's really out. troubling.
2: This is breaking Ross and the weather. Uh, so essentially, he reached back out to the NOAA, which is the, I'm going to. I, I, which is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration on Friday and he threatened to fire the top employees there after one of the weather offices in Birmingham, Alabama contradicted the Sharpie Gate scandal which the I've Sharpie stayed Gate. away from. We were so close to not talking about Sharpie you Gate. almost made it. I told Christine Barada NKO, who's back in the control room I said to them we, we we were like we must be the only show that has not talked about Sharpie Gate. Louis Miranda comes you're and welcome. just uh, takes a show. Sharp- What's worried about? <laughs> <and> it. <laughs> 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 sketches it all over, all over. Permanent one.
3: Listen, the, I think the biggest problem with this is that this is supposed to be government data and government information that's used across the board that people can rely on. So whether you have WeatherBug or you. the Weather Channel, they're getting their information from NOAA. If I you still can't still trust NOAA anymore, or. that's a problem.
2: I trust no. I can't care about Sharpie. All right, what's on my <laughs> radar? President Trump. Um, did you hear about this at Camp David? He tweets out on Saturday night that he's he was going to have a meeting with Taliban officials. We're two days away, mind you, from the from the anniversary of the september 11th attacks he was going to meet with taliban leaders and the president of afghanistan at camp david but he called off the meeting because of the bombing attacks that have been going that the taliban have been responsible for he wanted to meet with afghanistan leaders because uh of of discussing u.s withdrawal from afghanistan but the taliban has continued continued with these attacks and he called it off. Take a listen to what President said about the Taliban meeting earlier today. Here he is. We had a meeting scheduled. Uh, It was my idea and it was my idea to terminate it. I didn't even, I didn't discuss it with anybody else. Adam Kinzinger, he's a congressman, he's a Republican congressman who serves on House Foreign Affairs. He had concerns about this meeting even being discussed. Take a listen to Congressman Kinzinger and what he said about it over the weekend. To have them at Camp David uh, is totally unacceptable. The president did the right thing by walking away. I'm very concerned, though, that we were really close to having Taliban leaders there. It is it, it is fascinating because here we are uh, nearly two decades after September 11th, which will mark this this week. And the, the the prospects of withdrawal from Afghanistan, the longest now war that the U.S. is currently involved in, and the president seemingly having this meeting at Camp David. But then at the last minute, you know, the president saying that the Taliban was using these attacks as leverage, which is horrific. And there was 12 individuals killed in Kabul and a, a more than a two two dozen injured uh, as a result of this, according to reports. But but this I, I'm curious, Lewis, for your for your perspective on this and what Democrats have been saying about this. Do they agree with Congressman Kinzinger?
3: Uh, I think there's pretty wide agreement that it was poorly thought out, that he didn't really spend the time to plan, that he left out the main national security apparatus that's supposed to work and deal on something like this before you even get to the point of the president making a decision on it. So uh, I think there's pretty broad concern bipartisanly. Uh, on, on the fact that it's just uh, him trying to get a victory haphazardly without doing the work to make sure uh, that it's worth it. Uh, as far as a meeting itself goes, uh, look, I think that's something down the road that, you know, at times we have to meet with unsavory characters to to uh, come to peace. So I don't think Pompeo's entirely wrong when he says that, but... Uh, It's just another example of Trump doing things wrong and and badly
2: it is it is going to be interesting to see I mean, this is a president. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there uh, a president who has met with Kim Jong-un for example uh, it, but this this was an interesting one. We're going to talk more about it, I'm sure, later throughout the week. My many thanks to Louis Miranda and Brian Darling uh, for coming on. Uh, you can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Busy week this week. I'm headed to Houston, second half of the week for the third Democratic presidential debate. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.